So good to see you here. And uh, I'm just going to pray one more time just for the message and for the word. We're starting a new series tonight. We finished last week on our series on the cross, or two weeks ago, actually. And if you missed last Wednesday night, it was, it was something sort of uh, unusual. The Lord had given me to, to talk about, the, I guess, the, the dangers and the social media. I know it can be an, uh, kind of benign, depending on how you use it, but even on its best day, the social media is, is an opportunity uh, for, for the devil to get in there. And so we shared some things like that last week, just being cautious, parents being cautious with their children and knowledgeable about what's going on. If you missed that, uh, you can go back on the website and hear it from uh, last Wednesday night. But let's pray one more time, and we'll, we're going to get into the, the Word tonight. Father, we do bless you tonight, God. Lord, we're so happy that we know Jesus. We're so happy. Lord, I think about that demon-possessed man with legions of demons in him, and Lord, he lived in the tombstones, and he cut himself, and nobody could tame him. And, Lord, you, you set him free instantly, and he was clothed and in his right mind, and he wanted to go with you, Lord. He wanted to follow Jesus. And you told him, Lord, go back and tell others what compassion the Lord has had upon you. Lord, thank you for the compassion you've had on our lives, God. Thank you that we're, we're in our right minds, God. We've been saved, Lord. Not that any in this room is perfect, but we're trusted in a perfect Savior. We've been justified by the blood of Jesus. We've been robed in the righteousness of another, the truly righteous Son of God. And we thank you for that, Lord. And God, give us ears as we study your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you would, uh, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to do a study on Philippians on Wednesday nights. There's four chapters in this book, and we're just going to go through it. Uh, you know, I, we don't do anything in, our, in a rush, <laughs> so I don't know how long these four chapters will take us. I'm not setting any goal because, you know, it's, it is what it is. We're going to uh, we'll start studying it tonight and kind of give an overview and a theme of the book. And uh, I pray that it ministers to your heart, that the Lord would speak to all of our hearts. But let's look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses tonight. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my, thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my, in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And so uh, we're just going to stop there tonight as far as reading in Philippians. But 
just to kind of give an overview and some thoughts on this, this would be a good time if you, if you have a notebook, if you want to take little notes and some point go back and study it or some, back, some point go back and teach it yourself to, to some others. But uh, this book, two times in those ten verses he mentioned uh, until the day of Jesus Christ. And so I would say we're kind of in the same boat, we're in the same church age as they were, even though that was about 2,000 years ago, and we're admonishing one another, like we're doing just now tonight, in the songs and the Word of God, until the day of Jesus Christ. That is, uh, I believe, for the church, that is the rapture of the church. And so between now and then, however long that is, it could be two seconds, okay, could be 25 years, I don't know, I, I would be hard Hard for me to imagine it being 25 years. I would, I would figure it's going to be closer to two seconds, amen, before the rapture. But however long that period is, we're admonishing one another. The Apostle Paul was admonishing this church in Philippi that was very dear to him and uh, to, to, to certain things. And, you know, maybe you, you have studied Philippians. You might know it very well and have taught on it. But I'm just going to give some background as we get started tonight, it's called, this, this epistle has been called by theologians a hymn of joy. Like this book of four, four chapters written in this one letter to the church at Philippi has been called a hymn of joy. And it's interesting, and we'll probably bring this up again. You know that, that passage in chapter 2 where, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe how he was, he was obedient unto death and so forth. That is actually, a lot of historians and, and Bible scholars believe that little portion, I think it's 5 through 11, was actually a hymn that was sung. That's pretty neat. Or, uh, you know, humbled himself, became found, found in fashion as a man, and so forth. We'll get to that in the weeks ahead. But this is a very joyful epistle. This is not like Galatians for example, they're all wonderful. They all served their purpose, and they were all real churches. There was a church at Philippi. Paul founded these churches in Philippi and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth. Um, but this is like in Galatian, the, the church of Galatian uh, had followed after a false doctrine, right? The Judaizers came in and bewitched them and deceived them, and they should have known better, but they didn't, and they fell into it. And Paul almost had to start from scratch until they were, Christ was formed in them again, basically, to, to get them out of that. This epistle has none of that. Uh, this is one of the epistles that's called the prison epistles or the captivity epistles, where Paul wrote it from prison in Rome. He was in prison more than once in his life, but the longest stay would have been his last stay up until the time he was martyred for the Lord in Rome, okay, actually in the big city of Rome, all right, where he was, and this was written from there, and it's the last of, of these prison epistles, not, not counting, you know, like Second Timothy, I'm talking about to the churches themselves, he wrote, uh, from the prison in Rome, he wrote Ephesus, Colossians, Philemon, and, and, the, and Philippians, and Philippians was the last of those four, and so it was written about I don't want to bore you with all this. I'm just going to lay all this out. I think it's helpful to, to know this stuff. And I think it's good to know uh, a church history. It's good to know um, 
things like this. But it was written from Rome in a, about 61 to 64 A.D. at the latest. Most people believe it was closer to 61 A.D. Paul was obviously the author. It says right here in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And the letter was written basically for the purpose of thanking the church at Philippi. He wanted to thank them because they were one of the few churches and, and definitely the most consistent church that actually gave to Paul. In other words, they gave money. They supported him. They sent gifts to him uh, so he could spread the gospel to other places. Every church didn't do that. Uh, it was, he very much commended them. This church had a special place in his heart. And there was a member of this church at Philippi named Epaphroditus. And he's mentioned in here. And he, had, he brought a gift, whatever, whatever it was, a, an offering from the church at Philippi to Paul in the Roman prison. So the, the, the letter, the epistle, it's believed, was a, a thank, Thanksgiving letter, a thank you card to send back to them. That has a lot of doctrine and teaching in it, but that's really the occasion that, that brought the letter about. It was delayed because Epaphroditus got really sick, almost to death. We'll read about that. And then he recovered, so it took a long time for him to go back to Philippi with this letter, but the Lord saw that it, it got there. But <clears throat> there are several themes in this book. You know, you read a book, and kids in school, in English class, the teacher always wants to say, what's the theme? And so you buy the little cliff notes because it tells you that, right? And it tells you the theme. Well, the theme of this, without question, the biggest theme uh, is joy. It's joy, it's rejoicing, uh, joy in one form or another, rejoicing in one form or another is mentioned about 14 times in these four chapters. And it's not just joy, but it's joy like in persecution, joy in suffering, joy in every circumstance and in every situation. So we're going to get back to that a little bit later. But there's also some other things of unity that you be of one mind. He spoke to about specific church members. They were having some kind of difficulty between the two of them and saying, y'all need to get it straight, be of one mind. Uh, there was a theme of humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became a servant. So there's some other underlying themes. and But overall, it's, it's widely thought this is the the book of joy, the epistle of joy. And it's wonderful that we sang the joy of the Lord is our strength tonight. That's from Nehemiah, by the way. And the Nehemiah was encouraging the people, be strong and, and, you know, build and set your heart to the work of rebuilding the wall for the joy of the Lord is our strength. They were coming under attacks. They were coming under threats. We're going to kill you, an enemy. This is in Nehemiah's day. We're going to shut you down when you're not looking and you're, you're hammering with one hand. Somebody's going to put a bow and arrow through your back uh, while you're not looking. And they try to intimidate the people. And, and Nehemiah said, no, this is of the Lord. You be strong and build. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, Paul's repeating the same thing. God wants us to know it. God wants us to know it right now in this hour. I want you to turn with me. Keep your spot marked in Philippians 1. And turn to the book of Acts, because in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, this is where we actually see 
you know, we read Ephesians and Colossians and Thessalonians and these different epistles that were written. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. That's all it is. And we read these epistles, but, but where historically did it actually happen? Where do we get to read the account of the church in, in, um, in Philippi getting founded and so forth? We read this in the book of Acts. You have the four Gospels, and then here comes the book of Acts. And, and I love it because, you know, the Gospels just kind of end in John with and Luke and in John with the resurrection of the Lord and He's with them on the, on the Mount of Olives, right side of, out of Jerusalem. And then here comes the book of Acts. They watch him go. The Holy Ghost comes in his fullness on the day of Pentecost. And then the book of Acts, it's like it didn't miss a beat. Even though the Lord was ascended to the right hand of the Father, he empowered his church by the Holy Ghost. And he says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And so in the Acts of the Apostles, this is that first church actually... Uh, fulfilling the Great Commission and the church growing. And so this is how it's in Acts chapter 16. We're going to read uh, a good portion of this to, to look at where the church at Philippi got, got its start. So we'll skip around a little, but Acts 16.1, if you would come go with me there. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which believed a Jewish Jewish I'm sorry which was a Jewish and believed but his father was a Greek all right verse 3 him would Paul have to go forth with him and he took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they all they knew all that his father was a Greek verse 6 now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So Paul was not going to be the one that brought the gospel to Asia. Even if he had it in his mind, let's go over here. The Holy Ghost uh, forbid them. How did he communicate that with, to them? I, just like the Lord speaks to all of us. He's, he spoke to them. They knew. Uh, Peter would bring the gospel to certain parts there uh, in Turkey and, and places like that. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Peter would end up preaching in that place. And they passing by Mysia came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia Assuredly gathering, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. I'm telling you, when you walk closely with the Lord, he can speak to us like that. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just the Holy Ghost is given to all who believe. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. This promise is for you, for your children, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so that's a promise for us. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They were separated unto God. They had tuned out other voices and put out other influences, and they could hear from God. They were about their father's business, so to speak, and God led them. If you ever think, well, how, do, how am I going to know? How am I going to know who to marry? How am I going to know, should I share the gospel with this person? How do I know? You'll know. If you walk closely with the Lord, he's not going to let you mess up. 
I've made mistakes in my life, but I can't blame it on the Lord. I've made mis- plenty of, I've made some big mistakes in my life as a Christian. But we're, we're not going to miss the Lord if we're walking closely to them and we want His will. Okay, we want His will. He's going to speak to us. So he, this is called the Macedonian call. I know you've heard of that. Uh, where the, he's saying, come over. In, in the vision, he actually sees a man saying, come over here and help us. Remember, Peter had a vision about bringing the gospel to Cornelius and to the Gentiles' house. That was a first, so to speak. Well, this would be the first of the gospel in the history of the world. The first of the gospel going to what's now the continent of Europe. This was it. Macedonian call. And they feel immediately Paul and those with him said, we set out to go. The Lord, you know, we had this, Paul had this vision. Nobody argued about it. They didn't take a vote on it. They didn't have a committee to decide, can we raise the funds? They had the call from God. And immediately it says, we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. It's wonderful to walk with the Lord like that. Yeah, we have to walk closely to the Lord, but we, can't, we can walk with God like that. We can hear the voice of the Lord like that. And what a blessing, amen, especially in troublesome times. And so, therefore, loosing, verse 11, from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony and we were there in that city ab- abiding certain days. We'll just stop right there. So that, that is where the, uh, we'll come back to that chapter in a little bit. So if you want to mark that, you can. But um, this is the first time that a Christian missionary went to Europe and brought the gospel to that place. So let's talk about the city just a little bit. And we'll get some of this kind of uh, under our belts and we'll move in more to the, the scriptures and the doctrine the, the epistle of Philip, uh, the Philippians, but um, the city, okay, it was an ancient city in Macedonia, which is today like northern Greece, okay, Macedonia, which is northern Greece. Alexander, the way it got its name, it had a certain name before, but Alexander the Great's father, everybody's heard of Alexander the Great, this big conquering uh, Greek uh, hero. His father, Philip of Macedon, conquered that city. And it's on the north shore of the Aegean Sea. If you're looking at a map and want to see it, the north shore of the Aegean Sea. He conquered, Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, conquered that city, and he named it after himself. That was pretty much a common thing to do. Later, when the Romans... uh, occupied that and it became part of the Roman Empire, it became a colony. Every little city and outpost was not a colony. It was a big deal to be a Roman colony. A colony was, would have been something where, uh, where they would set military post. It would be a military city, city for the defense of the Roman Empire. And this would have been on the most, uh, I think, the most eastern border of the Roman Empire. Okay, so they established a colony there, and the job of the occupiers there, the Roman occupiers, was to Romanize the people and the cultures, like envelop and bring them in the culture and everything else of, of Rome. So this was a big deal to be a Roman colony. I'm not saying it was good or bad. I'm saying it was, a, it was a, an important thing. 
It was later destroyed by the Turks. It, today it lies in ruins. Archaeologists have dug up uh, parts of the ruins and so forth, and very much it's proved to be that the city of Philippi was there. But it wasn't at the time that Paul was going there to bring the gospel, at that time it was a center of Bacchus worship. Anybody that's been to New Orleans and been to a Mardi Gras parade has heard of Bacchus, okay? And I think it's like the god of wine or something like that. And it was a center of Bacchus worship. Bacchus would have been one of the newer kind of uh, pagan gods, one of the newer uh, mystic religions, you know, mystery Babylon and so forth, way back there with Nimrod and then Babylon and so forth. This it was of the same mold, but it was one of the newer ones, okay? And this is what was taking place there. It was the center for this worship of Bacchus, and it later became a center for Christianity. It really did. It became a hub. It became a stronghold for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was obedient to the call. When did this take place? It took place on his second missionary journey. We know there was three trips that Paul made. Sometimes he would repeat, you know, and visit some of the same places, but not every time and not every place. But on his secondary, second missionary trip, he brought the gospel to Europe for the first time. There was no synagogue there. And a lot of times where Paul would go into a city, his custom, the Bible tells us, as his custom was in the book of Acts, first thing, he would look out at a Jewish uh, community, find the synagogue, probably find a, a, a rabbi or someone in that town, and he would first bring the gospel there. Can I speak? It was a Jewish custom. If you were a Jew and you were, you know, showed up and they said, do you have something to say to us, brother? Do you have a word for us? Or you want to have a scripture you want to read? That was not uncommon. So if he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, he would say, I have something to say from Isaiah. I have some, and, and his custom would be to preach the gospel from the Old Testament and convince the Jews that this Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And the Jews should have been the first to latch hold to this. And a lot of Jews did get saved. We, we almost have this thought that every Jew was just pharisaical, so to speak, and nobody believed. The early church was all Jewish. All 120 in the upper room were Jewish. And they were bringing the gospel to the Jews only until, until God spoke to Peter and said, what I've called clean, don't call unclean. Go to Cornelius. And that was an eye-opening experience. And they did it. And they obeyed. Paul was known as the missionary to the Gentiles. We would have, I say we, I would have probably done it exactly the opposite. You know, if I was planning how to grow my church, I'd say, Paul, you were a Pharisee of Pharisees. You were a Hebrew of Hebrews. If anybody's going to go minister to the Jews and is so perfect according to the law, touching the law of the, uh, of the, the Pharisees, blameless and so forth, you, you go reach your Jewish brothers. He didn't. He sent it to the Gentiles. And he sends Peter to the, to the Jews. Uh, but anyway, uh, so he goes to the city and there's no synagogue. And so he found, he still, still went to the Jewish people first. Does anybody know who he went to first? He went by the river, on the riverbank. Let's read this. Uh, chapter 16. Verse 13, if you're still in Acts 16, 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside 
where prayer was want to be made. They're not praying to Bacchus, by the way. These, this would have been people that were, uh, as far as they knew, and in their conscience, they were serving Jehovah. Okay, they were walking and serving the one true God. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, this would have been a very expensive uh, material. It was very valuable because purple was a hard color to get and to produce and so forth. Of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. So she did worship the Lord as far as she knew. This would have been like uh, Apollos or someone that's worshiping the Lord to the extent of the knowledge that he had. Even Cornelius, a Gentile, did worship the one true God to the extent of the revelation that he had. God brought Apollos and Cornelius uh, the full revelation of the gospel. Okay, And all right, she worship, which worshiped God heard us. So they heard Paul preaching the gospel by the riverside, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So she became a believer. As far as we know, the first convert there on the whole continent of Europe in the church of Philippi, which would become the church of Philippi, was this woman, Lydia. And when she was baptized and her household, so she gets saved, her household gets saved. She besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. That is almost that little synopsis of the woman getting saved and immediately being grateful, immediately wanting to help the men of God further the gospel and to minister to their needs, immediately wanting to, to be a blessing to them in the work of the gospel. That's almost like the church of Philippi as a whole. This is why this was a special church. Every church is special. and The believers will be in heaven and thank God for all of them. But this church was noted for its helpfulness to Paul, furthering the gospel, gratitude, uh, servant's heart kind of thing. They were just uh, thankful. They were thankful to be saved. And they wanted immediately. That's real evidence of a changed heart, by the way, that Immediately, she wanted to minister to them and to their need. It's in the Philippian jailer. Don't forget that, which we'll talk about in a little while. He gets saved. What's the first thing? When he did get saved, he wanted to minister to them physically and bandage up their wounds. He was like, oh, I, c I can't believe we did this. I, I can't, you know, yesterday I was lost. Now I'm saved. And, and it all came flooding into him. Here, let me help you. Come to my house. We're going to feed you. We're going to wash your wounds. We're going to put some bandages on you. We're going to take care of you. I can't believe we did this. We're so sorry. I did it in ignorance. You know what I mean? That's evidence of a changed heart. And this was this church in Philippi. I think it should be my heart. I think it should be every believer's heart that we're thankful to God, number one. But we are thankful to the people that God's put in our lives if somebody brought us the gospel, if it was your mama, you know, if it was your daddy, somebody brought you the gospel and cared for your soul and wept over your soul and maybe at great cost to themselves. Maybe not, but maybe so. Maybe at great cost to themselves. And I'll, I'll uh, and it came, we're going to stop right there because that's a whole other story coming up. But we're just laying the foundation of how this church got started. Uh, 
It was a church that was largely comprised of Gentiles, as we said. The women later would be largely uh, Gentiles, and women played an important role in this church. I'm not saying they're women pastors or anything like that. The Bible teaches otherwise, but uh, they played an important role in the church and their laborers in the gospel and so forth. And the church was very loyal to Paul. There were churches that weren't, or maybe for a season they weren't. Church at Corinth, you know, they they ridiculed Paul later, you know, and and so we we've chosen so and so instead of Paul. And he says, look, you got a lot of people that may minister you, minister to you, Corinth, but only one was your father. I birthed you in this thing, you know, uh, and so he would have to rebuke them in a sense for that. But this church was loyal to the Lord and loyal to Paul and grateful, and they were generous, amen. They were generous and wanted to help. You know, and think, one thing about generosity and Christian uh, generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. It has to do with what you give. Nothing to do with, well, they can be generous. Look how much they have. Uh, it's being generous with what we had. I don't know how much Lydia had to feed them. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know how much the Philippian jailer had to to take care of Paul and Silas after they had been beaten. You know, it has generosity is a Christian thing, and it's nothing to do with our abundance. It has to do with our heart and a heart to give. And we're not to be foolish and just throw it out because he might have said, no, I wanted you to use that over here. Uh, but we need to be generous. We have to have generous hearts. Amen. And this church was that way, and it was a, a wonderful way to be. So I want to look at a couple of other scriptures here for just a moment. Uh, look, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. We will go back, back to Acts in just a moment, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That's a wonderful scripture to highlight in your Bible. Now the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, let's look at. James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Again, we're going to see this theme through the Bible. This is James writing this. Nehemiah wrote, Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul wrote uh, Romans where he says, The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. I'll just read one more back in Romans 5, 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Okay? And so the reason I want to read those three scriptures is because we said that the theme of this book is joy. Now, it is absolutely, and we're going to touch on it a lot more than just tonight's message, but it's so easy to be joyful when everything's great. Most of the time, if you really the older you get and you look back, most of the time everything is not great. 
if you wanted to, to say what percentage of my life is everything exactly the way I want it over the history of my 57 years, what percentage? Probably a pretty small percentage of everything is exactly the way you want it. All's right with the world. But the joy of the Lord is our strength, and it is a joy that is not based upon those things. And a lot of times the Lord lets the world be troublesome to us and allows his people to go through adversity and afflictions to teach us that. There's a big difference between happiness and joy, and we're going to close with some of that. But Paul, Paul was teaching this joy. Joy in the Lord, joy in living for Christ, joy in the in dying if you die for the Lord, joy in suffering, joy in persecution. And Paul perfectly demonstrated this to this Christian joy through his life. I'm not saying he was perfect. No, he was not. But he did perfectly, as far as we know from the word of God, demonstrate this Christian joy, this fruit of the spirit. The joy, love, joy, peace, right? In his own suffering, and in no, no time did he more perfectly exemplify that as when he was in a prison in Rome. You won't read any complaining if you read in, in the book of Acts where it's historically recorded him in prison or being shuffled off later in life, you know, from, from, from Jerusalem to the different places he was brought um, to finally being in Rome, being shipwrecked on the way to Rome. You don't read one complaint from Paul. And in this epistle to the Philippians, you won't read one complaint, but constantly, over and over, rejoice. Rejoice always. Rejoice in all things. While he himself is in prison, there's no murmuring and there's no complaining. He had joy in persecution. And I thought about it. What a witness that is for Christ. If God blessed you with riches galore and all your friends saw, he just got saved. And the next day, look, he's, you know, somebody sent him a check for $3 million made out to him, you know, and he cashed it. Uh, and then there's no, there's not real the testimony in that. But when you give your life to the Lord and he takes it and allows us to go through things and you're in prison for no other reason, not because of a crime you committed, but no other reason than being faithful to the Lord and fulfilling his will on the earth. And we're beat and we're rejected and we don't have any friends anymore and our own family has abandoned us and we're joyful in that. We're saying, hey, you're telling other people. You need be joyful. I'm here in prison. You know, you be joyful out there. Serve God. It's a, an incredible witness for the Lord. And Paul was that. It's a testimony for the Lord and a great encouragement to other believers. And so back in Acts, and we're going to be closing here pretty soon, but back in Acts 16, it's the last passage we'll read from Acts tonight. We know that after, after that encounter with Lydia and her getting saved and ministering to them came to pass in verse 16, we went to prayer a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. I'm not going to read the whole story. We know it. There's a demon-possessed, fortune-telling girl. 
that made her masters a lot of money by her fortune telling. It was not natural. It was supernatural in the sense it was demonic. You know, able to speak and, and trick people and fool people and, and deceive people and, and things like that and made a lot of money. Well, after many days, Paul rebukes the devil in her, the demonic spirit in her. The demonic spirit comes out. All of a sudden, they say, well, our little cash cow is gone. The two guys, her masters, her, her, her cash, our cash cow is gone. We made, made a lot of money through her fortune telling. And so, anyway, they're brought in uh, into prison, beaten severely, and then thrown into the prison. And the inner prison, like in the dungeon in the darkest part of the prison, and chained up, arms and, you know, in the stocks. That's the arms chained to the wall and the feet chained to the wall. And they hurt. The metal things hurt. They didn't put padding on there. And they're praising God at midnight. What are they doing at midnight? They're praising God at midnight. That's when the Lord sends the earthquake and the prison doors fly open and their bands are fall off and they walk out. Sound like the three Hebrews in the fire, fiery furnace or Peter in prison. Um, but the point is, they're praising God. It's an incredible witness. As I said, we're still talking about it today. Anybody and everybody, the worst of the worst person, can probably be happy and thankful when they get the check for $3 million or something like that. Their team won the Super Bowl five years in a row. You know, just incredible. They're over the top happy. Anybody can do that. There's nothing really to be admired in that. But in somebody that's in prison... And praising God when things are stripped away. He counted them all as dung. We're going to study that in chapter 3. Uh, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing thing. And it's only possible, and this will be repeated, but it's only a po possible by the Lord. Okay? Only possible by the Lord and by the Holy Ghost in us. And so... I want to read a couple of quotes here. F.B. Meyer, in his commentary, says, The church at Philippi appears to have been one of the purest of the apostles' apostolic age and called out uh, the apostles, Paul's, thankfulness and commendation beyond any other. In other words, there weren't any real rebukes that we read to this church, and they seemed to be very pure in, in following the Lord at least in this time, and he commended them more than any other church. Does it do, doesn't mean it's not a knock on the other churches. There was just this trait or this Christian character in this church. Um, Paul, at the time he wrote this, was in a Roman prison, but the, the, the Bible tells us he was in his own hired house. So he found favor even in the Roman prison where he later, not, not so much favor that he got, out of there. He ended up being martyred. But the last, I think, two years of his life, he spent in prison, but in like his own little apartment. And he could have guests come and go. And this is where he wrote it from. And he was anticipating his trial before uh, the emperor. So it actually mentions in Philip this letter that uh, I want to come communicate with you soon, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Like he wasn't, you know, some point the Lord showed him you know, you've you finished your course and you're, you fought your good fight. But uh, 
uh, F.P. Meyer goes on to say his, his citizenship was not in the Roman prison, though. It was in heaven. And all that he had forfeited of earthly wealth, and he had much, okay, and joy is more than compensated for by what he had found in Christ. That's his own thoughts in his own heart. Everything that he had forfeited was more than compensated for by finding Jesus Christ and having him. And that's why he says, this one thing I do, he's pursuing after the Lord. And his citizenship was not on this earth, and it certainly wasn't in a prison. It was in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, the Bible tells us. Even now, while we're on this earth, we're strangers and pilgrims. Our citizenship is in heaven now, if you're born again. Okay? So, uh, I'm going to close by reading this, and then we'll, we'll pray. And I just pray that we all would be ministered to through this, this study and, and learn. This is from another commentary I read. I just want to read it. The word happiness, because remember our theme is joy. The word happiness evokes visions of unwrapping gifts on Christmas morning, strolling hand in hand with the one you love, being surprised on your birthday, responding with unbridled laughter to something that makes you laugh, uh, going vacationing to some exotic location. Now, we're talking about happiness. Everyone, wa everyone wants to be happy, and we make chasing happiness a lifelong pursuit, spending money, collecting things, and searching for new experiences. But if happiness depends on our circumstances, what happens when our toys rust, when our loved one dies, when our health deteriorates, when our money is stolen, when the party is over? Often, often happiness flees and despair sets in. This is why joy is so much better. I'm learning it, okay? think we're all learning it. In contrast to happiness stands joy, running deeper and stronger. Joy is the quiet, confident assurance of God, of God's love and working in our life, that he will be there no matter what. Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Happiness depends on happenings. Now, a Christian can be happy too, but happiness depends on happenings, things circumstances being just so. Joy depends on Christ. Paul's secret of joy is grounded in his, re his relationship with Christ. One thing. He wasn't confused about it. He didn't have a top ten. Paul, how are you so joyful? Jesus, I have the Lord. Period. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. It's all Jesus. That's what I have. And he talks in this epistle I've learned to a you know, uh, abound and have plenty. I've learned to suffer lack. In, uh, in all things, he learned to trust the Lord and to be uh, content with where he was. People today desperately want to be happy, but are tossed and turned by daily successes or failures or inconveniences. Christians are to be joyful in every circumstance, even when things are going badly, even when we feel like complaining, even when no one else is joyful. You ever been in that kind of circumstance? Nobody else around you is even joyful. Christ still reigns, and we still know him, so we can rejoice in all things at all times. That's a theme of this epistle, amen? Christ still reigns, and we still have him, and he still has us. Don't ever forget it. 
Don't ever forget what might come down the pipe tomorrow in our country, in your life, across the airwaves of your TV. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, no matter what, don't ever forget it. Let it sink in. Say, God, help me to hold on to this truth tonight that we have Christ and he has us. We're certainly suddenly dispersed and separated from one another and don't get to have our dinner on the grounds Sunday. You have Christ and Christ has you. Amen. Praise God. D, you can come.